De ster van de stad, altijd dichtbij. RTV Maastricht. Hallo, hallo, hallo. 
You are listening to Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM in Maastricht. Um, and yeah, today we are talking about art that, has, that art that's being produced online because, you know, um, for various reasons, um, a lot of things have had to move online lately, right, Katinka? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think everything had to be moved online and keeps having to be, be moved online <laughs> for a little while here, at least. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. Um, but... I think, but I also think it's time. It also gives a big opportunity for innovation, um, and for that reason, that's really why I chose the guests that are going to be here today. Well, not here physically; they're all calling in, um, and so we have the first half an hour. Who's going to be one guest? Second half an hour, it's going to be another guest. But this guest is the first. Our, our first guest is uh, Logan Cryer, a very, very good friend of mine, um, based in Philadelphia. Um, and yeah, Logan, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Ah, awesome, 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 awesome. It's good to hear your voice. Um, so yeah, so first tell us about who you are um, and you know what, you, what your art is and just your general practice and really how that's changed because of the pandemic. Sure, yeah. So um, my name is Logan. I'm an artist, curator, writer in Philadelphia. Um, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia and then went to school in Philly. So I've been here for a few years. Um, you know, I, I feel like I kind of do a range of things as an artist. Um, I like doing performance, video, installation, sculpture, just kind of whatever feels like interesting at that moment. But um, something I also really love doing is curating. Um, so before the pandemic, something I would like to do is just put together DIY shows. Like we, we've done a couple of shows together, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, that's very, that's very true. I remember that. Great times, great times. Yeah, it's so fun. And something that's cool about Philly is, like, you know, Philly's not necessarily the place you go where you're like, I'm trying to be a big-time kind of artist superstar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great place to be when you really enjoy making work and being in community with people. Um, but as the pandemic went on, I personally really kind of shut down <laughs> when it started like I know there were a lot of galleries and museums doing virtual stuff but I was so staunchly not interested in it and I just felt like you know like you're trying to make up for an experience that just isn't the same and it just felt lacking to me in a way that I wasn't satisfied with now I understand that's part of like that's me that's not a you know, a statement against everyone else. That was me just trying to like process it. But something that came out of that um, was the question of what does it, what would actually be a way of engaging with art online that would be interesting um, and didn't feel like it was trying to replace an in-person experience, but was its own um, experience altogether. So um, that's where Snail Gallery came about. And that's what I've been running currently on Instagram. It sounds amazing, and I think, uh, Logan, what I hear you say, I think that's absolutely true. Like, you shouldn't try to replace what we have physically normally with these things, but make something like its own thing. Because um, there's, I mean, you can just not replace that, right? Being in a space with people, with art, with a performance. But there is a way to do that, and it's very different to do it online. But I think there's a lot of amazing possibilities in that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's... That, that, that is something that I really that I really am excited about with the idea of art being 
now done online. Well, maybe not so much crypto art and NFTs and, th- and those things, which we can maybe talk about a little <laughs> bit later. Um, but I do think that is there is a big possibility for art be- being so much more accessible to people who otherwise, you know, would not be able to get to a museum or see an exhibition somewhere. Um, I think I think I think it's always so much better when you can just have as many people who can actually see this art and interact with it as possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I mean, yeah. Enough said. <laughs> I think you uh, you hit it right on the mark there, and also makes me think about our uh, ableism show that we had. You know, that there are so many things that normally or before pandemic time, if we uh, if we talk about it like that, people could not enjoy. Uh, because and especially here in Maastricht, you see that as well. So many buildings are just not accessible for people who are maybe in a wheelchair or have difficulties walking. Um, they're beautiful old buildings, but not really handy in that way. And if a show would be in there or some art would be in there, a lot of people would just not be able to to go there and to see it. And, and also it's just restricted to an area, right? And online is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it just really speaks to how these are all just interleaking systems of oppression that, you know, Access is a really big imp- it was a really big part of that. You know, while I may be a black person who grew up in not not the, the not really in, a, in upper middle class household, you know, I I had a lot of access to things that a lot of people did not have, and I think, you know, it's something that often really goes overlooked in these conversations about art in general. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Logan? Yeah, definitely for sure. I mean, it's I think. You know, like, as you're talking about it and I'm thinking about it, I feel like part of, like, DIY culture is a little bit, like, there's a little bit of, like, an elitism to inaccessibility because it is kind of about keeping it as, like, your own thing. And, like, inaccessibility, not necessarily for people who are in wheelchairs, wheelchairs per se, but just kind of, like, we, it's what we do, it's just for us, it's not for everyone, like, you either know better, you don't kind of thing. So I think like for people who are working small to be accessible, you really have to consider your audience could be anyone. And that takes so much more thought and care and listening and learning that I think like, you know, that has to be ingrained when people are starting out on like a small, like this is just for me and my friends kind of level to, you know, obviously major museums and things like that who, um, you know, should be implementing things and um, I feel like the question of how are things going to, when people start gathering in person again, what's going to remain and what's going to go away, it would just be so sad at this moment if people weren't able to see like, you know what, like what we did allowed for accessibility for people who um, may not have been able to come to the space physically for whatever reason. We need to find a way to integrate that into our programming or we need to find room in our budget that this is actually mm-hmm. a permanent um, mainstay in what we do. Well, wow. Like, I know... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's very well said. Um, but it is also about time that we should start moving to music. Um, and so the first two songs for the show, you actually, Art Junk, that you chose. The first song, um, I don't know if you heard it, we chose played Changes by Antonio Williams featuring Carrie McCoy. Um, and the next song is Spires is by Spires and the Sunset Rise, and the song is called The Sun. I hope the audience loves it. Logan, you sent it to me the other day, and I think it's so incredible. Thank <laughs> you. 
to Student Radio Maastricht on 107.5 FM, uh, RTV Maastricht. Uh, we were talking about art that has been created online, and the song you listen to is, uh, by the way, uh, The Sun by Spires That In The Sunset Rise, a really, really interesting piece of music. Thank you, Logan, for suggesting it. Um, so, Logan, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is now, I want, now is actually the concept of snail gallery. Um, so, how... So, how exactly? So explain the concept for the audience now. Uh, Logan, can you hear us? Uh, Logan, can you? He- I cannot hear you. Okay, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run to a next song, um, which is "Screens" by Animal Collective, and then be right back. Hold on. Thank you. 
You are listening to Student Radio Maastricht. Uh, you just listened to Screens by Animal Collective. And on the line right now, we still have Logan. Hey. Hi. Hey. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to talk uh, about now the gallery that you have, um, the Snail Gallery. Um, and explain the concept for the audience because I think it's really interesting. Sure, yeah. So, Snail Gallery is a gallery that's hosted completely on Instagram. Um, and the way that it functions that so might be a little bit different than the way that art gets posted on Instagram is that um, I'm really using the page as a space for hosting the artwork. So when a show goes up, there's all of the work kind of goes up around the same time. Um, you know, it's work, descriptions, uh, artist bios. I just put up the curatorial essay for this show. And then when the show's over, it comes completely down. So it has kind of a really big kind of reset um, that happens. It doesn't function as an archive in itself. There's also a website where there is um, some information about the show. The curatorial essay will stay up. And then once I do an artist talk, which is posted privately between me and the artist on Zoom, a video recording of that also goes up on the website. Um, But for the most part, it's just as ephemeral as a physical gallery space. Nice, nice, nice. Wow, so how, do, how did this really come about? I think it's really an interesting concept. I mean, I really am not an Instagram person. Like, I, I truly, I never fully got into it. I was on Facebook for a real long time, and I'm only recently kind of, like, getting off of that. And it's funny, because when I started the gallery, I was like, oh, boy, like, Instagram's really changed. I don't know how to work this. But... Um, Ultimately, I was just like, what's a platform that people are 
on and looking at it, Instagram obviously is a really big one. And I think um, having a shifting mindset from like, ew, I don't like this thing, I'm not gonna interact with it, versus like, well, what are the things I don't necessarily like about it, and then how can I change that in the way I interact with it? So something that's nice about the show is that I'm not curating to get like the most likes possible or to get the most shares or things like that. Like the whole process is so oriented around the artist and um, picking themes for the shows that are really rich and resonant for them and just actually curating work in a way that feels really thoughtful. Um, and so I, I like being able to do that on an Instagram space and not feel like I have to, you know, be clout chasing or something, which for me personally just isn't the way I like to operate. <laughs> I can definitely, definitely, definitely identify with that. Um, not trying to close chase clout. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it can seem that way, I guess, since you're using Instagram. Um, but one thing I find interesting, because because now it's on Instagram, does that then limit the kind of art that you can make? Is it all now digital art, or um, are there other things that people are trying um, to release in this format? Yeah, I think actually what it does, I think the way I'm approaching it is less, well, because we have the limitation of the screen, what can we can't do? And more so, well, because it's online and through this platform, what can we do that we might not have been able to do in a physical gallery space? So for example, something that's been really nice is having a lot of video work. And I don't know, um, you know, this will resonate with someone, but if you've ever tried to curate, curating video work is really hard. It's hard to get um, the equipment that you need for it. It's hard to present it in a way that people will actually sit and engage with it. And it's also hard to physically place it next to objects and things that aren't videos because, you know, one thing can kind of get overshadowed by something else, et cetera. So, um, I've actually found that doing it online has been really expansive and that um, we can include um, text in a way that's harder to do in a physical space. Like I said, doing videos, doing works that are works in progress. That's also something that's hard to show in a gallery space. But I think with social media, you know, if you think about when you're scrolling down your timeline, you're seeing all kinds of things all at once. And so for these shows, you can just have a wider range of works. And um, to kind of answer your question more specifically, some of the work is documentation, some of it is photos of other work, you know, photo documentation of things. Um, so it doesn't have to be work that was created with intention for the internet at all. Um, I think it's just very similar to the way you would spend it, um, experience any artwork on Instagram. Some of it's documentation, some of it's made exactly just to be viewed online, but it's uh, a mixture. Yeah, I must say, I. Um I just followed Snail Gallery on Instagram. I checked it out right away. Uh, personally, I'm a huge Instagram fan. I also wasn't like a year and a half ago, but now you will see me there every single day. Uh, but yeah, I really love like the first thing that I see if I scroll th through the feed is that there's so many different things there. Uh, and what I like on Instagram as well is that I see right away, this is like an ITTV, so this is a video I can watch. This is like a picture or this post has multiple pictures what I can scroll through. So I think it's very nice space to show like different types of art as well. And, um, and I really get what you say, like if you are in a museum, then there might be like a huge statue or, or installation or something. And if there's video next to it, sometimes then that doesn't really get the attention of the audience or people go to a place like that more to 
yeah maybe see different type of things and i think and something like an instagram feed you can really get that all together and it all has like the same type of space that it takes in and everybody will have you know like one thing more than the other maybe to look at but i think it's amazing that you put it all together there and i also saw like in your link in bio <laughs> that there's an article or something there so it's also more to read if you're interested in that um yeah i really love it man keep up keep up the good work <laughs> oh thank you so much <laughs> Thank you. One thing I find interesting about the concept in particular is the fact that you delete everything after the end of the exhibition. Um, and particularly because you think of the internet as something that is so forever, um, is, how, how does this work? Is it, like, is it like an attempt to kind of recreate like the, 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 ephemeral, the, the ephemerality of going to a gallery and you're there and it's this experience and you're gonna be, it's only going to happen at this one time, so you know, only you're going to experience it at this time? How is that? I think it's actually a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of things. So the first thing is that um, you know these artists are lending me their artworks, and I don't own them, so I, I wouldn't feel comfortable per se posting them forever to, to be up there forever because I don't owe them. And then you know Instagram's kind of weird, where technically if you post anything, they own it. So you know I just don't want to play around with that too much. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is yeah, thinking of it. Um, you know, I think having the work come up and down kind of makes the account more of a physical, something closer to a physical space um, and kind of replicating the like, you have to kind of see it while it's up because then it's going to be gone and the kind of the energy that comes from having a moment that happens. Um, and I think the last thing is, I. it's funny because I've recently realized there's other work that I've been doing in my personal practice that's about the internet and how things stay on the internet forever. Um, I'm personally a fan of going through old Facebook messages and just going through things from, a, for me, as far back as 2012. And it is wild. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I can second I that. So yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm fine with just not kind of, I, I feel very conscientious now of how things really can stay online forever, and I'm so okay with just being like, some things just aren't going to be there forever, and that's okay. And you know, if someone sees work that they really like, they can always reach out to the artist and be like, hey, could I, you know, get a copy of this, or can I purchase this from you, or anything like that. Huh, nice, nice, nice. So it's, it really does really, so I guess it's kind of taking, taste, taking the place of like, the mediator between the artist and the audience. But then really, though, how does that interaction between the artist and the audience you know, then play out in, on the internet in real time? That's a good question. I mean, that's something that might be interesting for me to ask my artists about. Um, you know, I can kind of see who, how many views a video gets or how many likes it gets, but something I don't keep track of is do the artists get new followers? Are the people who are liking the work people they know or people they don't know? Because, you know, a, a lot of us have overlapping social groups, but not it's not a one-to-one -one for all of us that we all know the same people. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good question, but I, I think what I mainly focus on is context, right? So even if you know an artist, like if you follow one of the artists and then I feature them in the show, you may have seen even some of these pieces before, but you haven't seen them in the context of these other artists in the context of this particular scene. And so I, I hope that in that sense, it's kind of a, a, either people are discovering new artists or they are having a refresher or a new way to kind of look at their work. Nice, nice. 
Well, Logan, thank you so much for speaking about your pro- about this project, and thank you so much for coming on the radio, and thank you just. I, I miss you, and it's really nice to have you on the radio show. Oh, Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, well, now in preparation for our next guest, who is a classical guitarist, um, we're going to play. We're going to have a recording of the Emilia Giuliani Prelude Number no. One. Um, enjoy. Oh, this is actually a, uh, his him performing it, uh, Michael Ibsen. So yes, enjoy this. And bye, Logan. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Into Student Radio Maastricht, and on the line we have classical guitarist Michael Ibsen. Michael, you're there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Zaki. Ah, nice, nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, so it's, I, I think it's really interesting your experience because you are a classical musician who is now, uh, who is now you know, you have to do everything online now. Um, so, you know, because there are no live, press, no, perform, no live performances, how do you really deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same, uh, you know, quarantine boat that most of the world is. Um, it's true. I think um, for me, like, I realized pretty soon after the pandemic started that I'd have to pivot my energies in a different direction, right, obviously. Um, and there are some harsh realities to that. I mean, like, you know, from a business perspective, it's kind of a catastrophe because the reality is now with streaming, we're kind of expected to always be putting out free content because everything is available for free. But at the same time, I also saw it as an opportunity to sort of learn about technology. So, I mean, I, I got some new new microphones. I got some you know free software, some software that I could afford. And um, there's been a lot of time diving into how to use this new technology, and that was really helpful. So, actually, the piece you just played in, the one that's playing in the background now, are uh, pieces I recorded on some new equipment I got um, when I was stuck. I had a two-week period where I had to stay indoors because I had a... Um, some symptoms didn't turn out to be COVID. And, um, you know, that was sort of 
something that may not have happened over the pandemic. So I did that, and I also learned like do live streaming. I went more in the direction of running a podcast with my live streaming, but um, uh, instead of performing, so I did more pre-recording with, with performing, like learning to produce nice videos and nice audio. But uh, live streaming became something where I started a show with other classical guitarists, sort of talking about their approach to music as well as other topics and, and doing a conversational thing. So it was, it was a you know multiple a multiple approach for me. Oh, it sounds amazing. And I think the music that we just heard, like your recordings, oh, man, I'm all zen now. <laughs> like that, that really <laughs> helps out, you know, especially in a time like this. Uh, music and live music is something that we miss so much. Or at least mm -hmm. I miss so much, but I think a lot mm -hmm. of us miss it. Uh, so it's amazing that you found a way to still, yeah, do that differently, obviously. But um, yeah, mm -hmm. kudos, man, that you kept going. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm just amazed at the community of guitarists and what everyone's doing. There's so many of my colleagues doing interesting, cool things digitally, and it's just inspiring to see. Yeah. One thing I find really interesting about live streaming is that I feel like it often gives an interesting possibilities for for audience participation in a sense, mm -hmm. um, particularly because there's often the, like the live chat and everything that way, and even the conference that we did today. Okay, so sidebar, um, Michael and I were in a conference today on classical guitar, um, talking about a piece that I wrote that he that I wrote in his research on um, collaborations between uh, guitarists and non-guitarist com um, composers. Um, but anyways, it was interesting because I feel like you know there's something that was very accessible to someone who would not necessarily be able to come to this conference otherwise. Yeah, I mean, this is important, and I think also what this pandemic taught me is what exactly what you're talking about, that the medium is different, right? So we have to approach it differently. So, for example, I went the conversation route, but I tried to make it a very a sort of podcast that wasn't highly produced, was just a live stream conversation between me and a guest, and they'd play some stuff, and we'd talk to the audience, and it was really focused on being open-ended that the audience could participate and sort of change the direction. But also, I have a friend in Canada, Daniel Ramjitan, who started a series called Concerts for the End of Time, live stream series, and, you know, he had me come play on it. That's the only full, like, live stream concert I've done, aside from all the videos I've produced and the recordings I've produced. And on that one, I sort of decided to embrace the medium by... Um, First of all, warming up on screen. So I, I turned this live stream on while I was warming up and getting ready to play and just chatted with people and asked people for questions and said hi and, you know, engaged people in the chat. And um, it ended up being a two-hour concert instead of your normal one hour because I would talk a lot between the pieces and sort of tried to get people to interact with me that way, which kind of helped me with the anxiety of playing in a room for a camera. It's kind of a <laughs> weird experience, you know? And I think that... It, it was really effective because, you know, in that setting, people aren't sort of stuck to a chair for an hour in a room. Like, they can go use the washroom, you know, go to the bathroom or go cook something or go get groceries or whatever while they listen to your concert and they can still take part by typing something in the chat. So it was, it's yeah, it's just very different and I think we have to sort of embrace the differences. It's the same thing with pre-recording. I found that, you know, learning to edit, I could do a lot of stuff that I wouldn't do when I was recording just videos with one take through, you know, um, and I could really ideally capture my ideal version of every piece and, you know, sort of adjust parameters, build the room using reverb plugins, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, there's no shame in that. I think it's just a totally different medium. So you have different, you know, tools at your disposal. Yeah, absolutely. Sound great. Um, I'm, I want to watch it now. <laughs> Is there going to be a next concert? Because I'm definitely up to uh, joining that. Well, that one is on, on YouTube. I think if you search Mike Ibsen Concerts for the End of Time, you should be able to find it. Or maybe it's C4ET, because that's the abbreviation of the series. But yeah, it's still on YouTube, so it's viewable. 
Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I thought I would be more nervous playing in front of the camera without seeing humans in the room with me and getting that live feedback from the audience. But mm -hmm. actually, like seeing the comments and all the positive comments from people I knew and people I didn't know, and sort of the support that people showed through that medium and being able to talk to people that way and make it more casual in between pieces and actually have a conversation instead of just having to announce the next piece and, and work off visual cues from the audience. That was actually made me more comfortable in a way, which is weird, but it worked. Yeah, so. sounds awesome. I think that's also the way to go about this. Like a lot of, also with music and especially with classical music, you see that there's kind of like, I don't know, uh, um, young people are not very much motivated maybe to go to um, a classical concert, if you say it like that. And you're like you said, you know, you're going to be there sitting in a chair for an hour and then at one point you can clap and mm -hmm. then you have to shut up again. Uh, but the interaction that these online mediums give us, I think that's really amazing. And you also see people willing to try out things more because also you can just leave whenever you want to leave. Like if you really do not like it, you can leave. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, or come back. Yeah, or yeah. come back sure. later and you do it even if you do not get a babysitter you can still enjoy the concert uh, or if you're mm -hmm. sick you can still enjoy the concert in the safety of your own home and it also opens up this possibility of talking to the artist and I think that is really amazing uh, also the way that you approach this to to show people like I'm warming up or I'm doing some exercises or I'm tuning my guitar and you can be part of that now like it really mm -hmm. gives way more to that to that concert but also showing because um, for you also that. I mean, it puts you kind of in a vulnerable position, but also it's amazing to show people like this is who artists really are. You know, there's more to mm -hmm. a concert than just sitting there playing that guitar and then everybody enjoyed it. Like you also have to practice and warm up and the instrument has to be ready for a performance. And yeah, and great if you can include the audience in that. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you mentioned this because the song that's starting to play now, or the piece that's starting to play now, Shadow Prism, is a piece with a score to tour, meaning alternate tuning. So you have to tune the guitar quite differently. And tuning is such a nightmare for guitarists yeah. in live settings. You know? Well, I played a harp, it's, try to tune that. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, you have it even worse than the And um, it's, so, but playing that live stream concert, I was able to sort of tune my guitar, talk to the audience, tune it again, talk to the audience some more, tune it again until it had settled in this new tuning, you know? Yeah. Um, but sort of on the same topic of embracing these new mediums, when I made this recording that we're hearing now of this piece, um, the piece is actually aleatoric, so it's semi-improvised. And um, I discovered that, you know, normally when I perform it live, I'm embracing that improvisatory aspect in the sense of letting my mind take me where I am in, in the certain parameters the composer set me in and improvising in that way. And doing the recording and putting it together with editing, I realized that I could really improvise as long as I wanted on one section before putting together my ideal version and really craft the dynamics and everything. And it felt more like being an, you know, an architect in that way. And it was just, it was interesting that the piece totally changed for me when I had to put it down in the editing program than when I had to play it live, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that also opens up a space for you as an artist or as a musician to experiment with that way more. Because if not mm -hmm. everything is going to be shown in a video, then that also gives you space to really try out new things and see what comes out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that editing recordings is a step a lot of people don't realize exists, uh, which is why with my students, there's a lot of students who have this crippling feeling they have to play like they all the CDs they hear, like perfect, note perfect. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you don't realize how much editing is going into this. But on the other side, too, it's a creative part. I mean, I, I really think from this pandemic, I've learned that while editing, I am, it's an extra creative step, you know, it's, it's one step further, composer, performer, interpreter, and then editor. And so I'm trying to embrace this artistic tool 
people, not just as something that's necessary to make myself quote unquote look good by playing well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's also a way for me to express myself in how I put the piece together. Yeah, amazing. So. Well, we'll let's continue listening to the piece for the next couple minutes, um, and then uh, we'll continue this conversation afterwards. And so this piece, uh, Shower, Shadow Prism by which composer? Jason Noble is a yeah, I'm, um, Canadian composer. Awesome, awesome. From. Thank you very much for playing it. And yeah, this is Student Radio Maastricht, 107.5 FM. Shadow Prism. Um, you're uh, you're uh, being played by Michael Ibsen. You're listening to Student Radio Maastricht on 107.5 FM. Um, yeah, we are still con- we're still talking about uh, art and on the on lo- that's been produced online. Um, and our guest, Michael Ibsen, classical guitarist, who is playing the piece that you're hearing behind us. Um, and so, I know this piece was 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 
another piece you played as part of a collaboration, um, and you've also done a lot more collaboration online as well, right, Michael? Yeah, so I actually, it's funny, before the pandemic even started, I was doing some online collaboration because I have a guitar duo with composer and guitarist in Ottawa named Nathan Bredesen, and we never lived in the same city, but, city, but we met through some festivals we attended and stuff in various places, and um, so we've always performed together when we've been able to travel to where the other person is, and he's, being a composer, I commissioned a piece from him that he wrote for me uh, about a year back. He finished it, I think, and um, so before the pandemic even started, I was already collaborating with him on that piece, you know, he was sending me drafts, I was sending him back recordings, and saying this is what I like, this is what I think we could adjust, the notation be clear here, that kind of thing. And then you and Isaac, he also collaborated on a piece you wrote for me, which just premiered this uh, this morning on the, at the 21st Century Guitar Conference online. And so when we kind of approached that, I was already sort of in the habit of doing... Yep. Uh, Michael? What Michael, are you still there? I think we lost him. I think, we, I think the call was dropped. Hold on. Um, we might have a small technical difficulty. Hold on, just one moment. Oh, he's coming back. <laughs> oh, wait, here it is, coming back. Hold on. Hello, Michael. Hi. Yes, yes, the call was dropped. Hold on. That was, that, 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 that actually, that was, that, you actually called back at the perfect time, but yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah. Okay, sorry, we're still on air. Good. Okay, sorry, I don't know why the call dropped. Um, anyways, I've been getting in the habit of doing these collaborations already, and then because of the pandemic, I was stuck in Utrecht, where I live, and you're in Maastricht, so we had to do ours online as well, in the end. Um, yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, so I've been I've been getting in the habit of doing these collaborations with composers, and, and lately they had to be online. But thankfully, the technology we have allows for, you know, pretty good communication over notation and easy to send recordings and all that kind of stuff. So, ah, nice, 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 nice. Yeah, it was really nice collaborating with you, actually. And also, I noticed that's something that um, that my brother and I, because uh, we as it's helped. It helps us to be kind of be accountable to each other. Um, just collaborating, so we're both working on something. Um, so we decided to just like be, to work together on a project so that we both can, you know, be accountability buddies, if it were. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and also, I know that you, like many other artists, you also teach as well. How mm-hmm. has teaching online been? Um, I'm extremely lucky to have a, a fairly large studio of very dedicated private students who moved online. Um, when it became uh, unsafe here in the Netherlands, because you know you don't want to be the super spreader person as the teacher, and um, I, I just I've, I'm amazed at how they've embraced this. I mean, obviously there's technological challenges all the time, but there's also better and better technology being developed, and even with you know not the best camera and not the best mic, there's still a lot that can be communicated. And one thing I've noticed is that. Um, it really helps students uh, learn to develop good habits with writing things down, writing down fingerings, writing down uh, notes on their score, um, and also uh, me having to communicate visually and communicate through recordings and stuff has forced me to grow in ways as a teacher. Um, so, you know, I've just embraced it by sort of offering extra resources of getting them to send me recordings, and I have a lot invested quite a bit in good technology so I can, you know, very clearly mark the score while they're looking at it during the lesson, and all that kind of thing. So, you know, I think that it's hard for some students and it's easy, it's actually in some ways better for other students. So it depends a bit on personalities, but there's always a way through, you know, with everybody. And um, I'm just incredibly grateful for all the students who work so hard and who have been, you know, getting over also some of their nervousness recording themselves. And as you know, being a being a musician yourself, like pl- recording yourself is one of the most useful things you can do to learn about your own playing and to improve. So I think it's been actually quite positive in that way. And my uh, wife and I, because we're both musicians, we've been running uh, online recitals for our students, singing and guitar students, 
and we've been sort of combining them in these uh, online recitals that are just private for them, but um, getting them to make recordings and then helping them put them together and then sharing it all with each other. And it's it's built a bit of an online community with all of them, which is really, really cool to see too. So I've, it's been a quite positive, I'd say, experience. Oh, oh, awesome, 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 really cool. So um, so what kind of things are you now working on right now? Um, just, you know, for our audience that, you know, this is now your time to like kind of plug, you know, all of your things. Yeah. When is the next sure. concert? When can we join one of your live streams? When do your when album with my piece be, be released? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, I don't have any online concerts planned right away. I did just launch a new channel with my friend Stephen Benton, who's a, a Dutch luthier um, building guitars. And he and I are, uh, we made some videos together on his instruments. And then we also are um, going to publish videos from other artists. It's called Resonant Connections Media, which you can find if you search that on YouTube. And so we're releasing a lot of cool um, videos through there that we really, from artists we really believe we want to promote and we want to help get heard. And then on top of that, I made this video of this amazing piece he wrote for Mizaki, which um, was premiered today at the 21st Century Festival. But hopefully that will uh, go up on YouTube soon too, on my own channel uh, in a little bit once I, I make up the final version of it. Um, and other than that, what other projects? Oh, I'm, I'm recording a new CD with that piece on it as well. Uh, I think the CD, I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but I think I'm going to call it Apocrypha because it's going to be about pieces which are sort of extra canonical in the guitar literature and also pieces that go back and kind of retcon the repertoire in in real time from, uh, you know, going back into the past to sort of add pieces that we maybe would be missing in the repertoire. So, um yeah, but that's, I'm not sure when that will be released, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm recording that by myself at home because I've been spending this time learning how to use this new technology, and that's been really um, sort of a learning experience for me, and now I feel ready to sort of sit down and make a whole album with, uh, with the technology I have and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, those are, there's quite a few projects. The podcast is ongoing, but um, yeah, those are the things that are going to be there, and, you know, hopefully I'll be able to perform in, in person again soon, and who knows, maybe I'll do more live stream concerts, but for now it's, it's mostly recording projects. Right, well, sounds great. Can you give us like a sum up of your socials? Like where can we find you on YouTube, Instagram, oh, yeah. the podcast? Um, Instagram is instagram.com slash guitar. YouTube is youtube.com slash guitar. No dot. Uh, that's the best place to probably find stuff. Although now I have this Resonant Connections media channel on YouTube. So you might want to search up both of those channels and subscribe to both would be awesome. Um, I also have recordings on Spotify, so if you look up my name on Spotify, you should be able to find some some guitar recordings there. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, those places are the best places to find me. I'm also on Facebook, and if you search my name, you should be in guitar. You should be able to find find what I'm up to. All right, sounds good. We'll look you up. We'll uh, like, subscribe, share, do all the things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you guys. All right, cool. Have a great day. Um, and so, yeah, now to end the, now to end our uh, show for today, it's time for our cultural agenda. Um, as I'm sure you all know, there's not much happening. Although, <laughs> luckily, next week our uh, our uh, our um, what's the word I'm looking for? Avant the avant clock. Um, the curfew is oh, now. Curfew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So next week it will be pushed until 10 p.m., which I think you know I'm I'm grateful for it. You know. It's progress i guess exactly and also the clock is changing this weekend so we're gonna have more daylight oh that is It'll so be a bit amazing. darker in the morning but way more light in the evening and it's gonna be sunny because it's gonna go up to 18 degrees i think next week so i'm really really looking forward to that oh beautiful yeah. beautiful beautiful yeah, what more can we wish for <laughs> 
But also on the on the SRM on the SRM, on the SRM note, um, we also have some new content coming out. Um, last week released uh, the new episode of Queering the Perspective by Bela Bellissima, yes. which I hope you all have been listening to and enjoying because it's a fantastic podcast. And we also have a new collaboration in the works with the Refugee Project Maastricht, right, Katinka? Yes, we do. Uh, they have been recording quite a few episodes already. Uh, they're working on editing, as we all know. Uh, anybody who has ever recorded and edited a podcast, that is the most work. <laughs> recording it is fun, but the editing is always a challenge. Uh, but the first one is ready and will be on our channels soon as well. So what they're doing is recording stories of refugees and they're having conversations with refugees and um, yeah, to, to talk about the real, you know, the real things and uh, giving people a platform as well to tell their stories and what happened and how did you end up here and how is life actually going now, you know, besides the whole media things that we hear about it, but just talking to the people um, and I think that's absolutely amazing. So I'm really looking forward to all the episodes that they've been recording and um, they will be online soon. Um, yeah, and I also have something very fun. Uh, this pianist, Michelle Lin, you can find her on Instagram as Michelle Lin Pianist. It's a classical pianist. She's in Maastricht. She's Canadian. And last October, she started her own challenge online. I also know her from Instagram. That's actually where we connected. And she's going to start this challenge again, which is the hashtag killing perfectionism in classical. And the goal is to yeah get that perfectionism out of the online music you know you don't have to, not everything you, have, you are posting if you're creating music has to be perfect we have to practice there's progress in that there's growth in that and we can also show and see that so um, yeah it's about recording a one minute clip every day of your practice you can have five takes max and you have to post one of them and she's going to do that for 10 days so go follow Michelle Lynn join the challenge it's starting this Friday and it will go on for 10 days and you can also follow the hashtags because there's going to be shitloads of content there of amazing musicians creating amazing music and showing us their practices so I'm very much looking forward to that nice 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 um, and just to remind you all make sure you go on Instagram and look up uh, snail gallery that is snail with uh, dots after all the letters in snail yes. gallery um, and yeah enjoy it their current their current exhibition is called ritual and rhythm and it will be up until the tw until the 13th of April um, it just started yesterday so check it out it's really nice and on next week is it gonna are we gonna do radio ping pong next week oh yep next week radio ping pong ah, I'm so excited for that so, so much, much fun, fun. <laughs> all right guys have a wonderful evening yeah and we'll talk to you next week exactly but by the way the song that's playing right now is by a local artist a student at the uh, art Academy uh, it's called grapevine and the song is called hold fast um, from their album that was released on the 5th of March just very recently so yeah. check it out Fresh. support local art yes about the house home is an achievement they have me torn and then seeking for meaning and I play it with steady breathing I do pretend, but we all change depending what we're up against. 
different days, cover for different friends, try to stay away from people that are ignorant. Cause I'll say I'm too much when I arguments that no means don't, that it is no consent. Walk up the long way home and then think and think again. And wash your hands, don't ever do that shit again. Wait. 